Well, welcome along to Beyond Church tonight. Uh, if you're new, if this is your first time, if you snuck in late, uh, if you forgot, my name is Chris, and we are really excited to have you along with us tonight. Uh, if you're joining us for the first time, or, or maybe you've uh, come back after a while away, we're in part five of a five-part series that we've been doing. It's the final part in the series tonight, and it is called Brand New. And I'm going to do my best to bring us all up to speed, to get us all on the same page and look at what we've talked about throughout this series so you know exactly where, where we're coming from. But in case uh, maybe something tweaks your interest, perhaps you want to go back and you want to, I don't know, maybe you want to sit down for two hours and just, you just want to listen to messages all night long tonight because this inspires you, uh, then you can jump onto our Facebook page, facebook.com uh, forward slash beyondchurch.au and you'll find the links to parts uh, one, two, three, four, and then during the week you'll find this message as well. Or maybe if just you think this message is for someone who isn't here tonight, you can pass this one along to them. But really what we've been looking at for this brand new series uh, is the idea that many of the things you have resisted about the church, the church should have resisted about themselves. Many of the reasons you push back, many of the reasons that you don't go to church, many of the reasons why you don't like church, or maybe you didn't like church, or you spent a, a period of time away, many of the things that made you resist the church are things that you should have, are the things that the church should have resisted about themselves in the first place. And we've been looking at this idea of the temple model. And the temple model is prevalent through uh, all kinds of world religions, uh, not just today, but it's been th- prevalent throughout all kinds of world religions uh, throughout the ages. This was prevalent in, religi- uh, in religions in uh, Syria, uh, the Persians, the Babylonians, the Greeks, the Romans. And the temple model follows these four things. It's always these four things make up the temple model in some way. There's always sacred places. And that sacred place might be a building. It, it might be uh, a piece of land. It might be the tomb of someone who's venerated in that religion. But there's always a sacred place. And then there's a sacred text whether that's a book or whether it's an oracle or maybe it's an inscription or a writing on a wall, but there's always a sacred text. And there's always sacred men. Don't ask me why it's men, but it's always men. And these sacred men work in the sacred places and they read and interpret the sacred texts. So what we've called the sincere followers, and we've been really nice when we said sincere because a better word would probably be scared, superstitious. Because these followers... They don't, they don't, it, they're, not able to, uh, they're not able to challenge the sacred man. And if they challenge the sacred man, well, you can't challenge me because I interpret the sacred text. And you wouldn't know what the text says because I'm a sacred man. I work in a sacred place. Uh, who are you to challenge me? And when Jesus steps onto the pages of history, he steps into a culture that was permeated and that was known and that understood this temple model system of religion very, very well. But when Jesus steps in, he starts something brand new. The Jesus model is characterized by something completely different. It's a complete departure from the temple model. Jesus sets up a new covenant. In other words, a, a new way of, relate, of people's ability to relate to God. The temple model is all about, God, what can I do to make you happy so that I get rain when I need it? God, what can I do to make you happy so that I have a prosperous life? God, what can I do to make you happy so that, so that you leave me alone? The temple model, in the the Jesus model, God comes to earth to make peace with us and to offer himself for us. There's a new command, Jesus says, I know like the temple model has lots and lots of commands. Here, I'm going to give you one command that will, if you apply this one command, that will filter through the rest of your life. And if you apply this correctly, it will filter through the rest of your life and it it will give you a new ethic. And this new ethic will be the way that you treat other people. And then finally, the Jesus movement is characterized by a new movement. 
In other words, Jesus says no longer is God confined to a building. But in fact, the people, the church, are God's people. And no longer is it, uh, do we, they meet in a sacred place. In fact, if you ever go to a sacred place, the person to your left and the person to your right in the Jesus model is far more sacred and far more precious to God than the sacred place that you're standing on. This new movement that Jesus started is about people. It's about a community of people. And in fact, uh, one of Jesus' best mates, John, one of Jesus' best mates, John, recorded a little bit of a conversation that Jesus was having with his disciples. And Jesus sums up this, uh, the, the new, brand new model that he started in this statement that he says uh, when he's with his disciples. And it's in John 13. But Jesus says, your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. Your love for one another. Not how smart you are, not how spiritual you sound, not how much you know. Your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. And throughout this series, we've been asking this question in a couple of different ways and we've been giving you lots of different application points. But the question we've been asking is, what does love require of me? What does love require of me? Because the Jesus model is far less complicated than the temple model, but it is far more demanding. And so we've been asking this, this idea, what does love uh, require of me? And we've been getting you to, to wrestle with it. And, and for the life of me, as I was preparing this message, I was sitting back and I was thinking, why, why would people resist the church? Like, honestly, at its core, if the church is just a group of people that follow the teachings of a man and all they do is ask the question, what does love require of me? What is there honestly to resist about that? Sure, I get it completely. I understand if you disagree with it. I understand if at the end of the day you said, you know what, I, I, can, I can handle the way they treat people. I've got nothing against the way they treat people, but... I just can't handle, I just can't believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I just can't believe that he came and died for my sins. I would understand if you disagreed with that. But what is there to resist? What is there to push back against? What is there that that the church has become so unpopular over time? And the reason that the church has become unnecessarily resistible is not because they tried to start something brand new, but because they smuggled something old back in to this brand new movement that Jesus started. And they, what they did was, when they started to smuggle old things back in, is this temple brand kind of authority started to rear its head. And all of a sudden, the church started to leverage something other than love. And honestly, if you, I, I mean, I don't know your stories, I, I don't know all, all of you and, and your different journeys in life, but if you've ever pushed back against the church... If you've ever, for some reason, not wanted to have anything to do with church, I'm willing to to wager that it's got nothing to do with the fact that you disagree because they believe Jesus is the Son of God, but it's got everything to do with the way that someone from the church has treated you. Or it's got everything to do with the way that they leveraged something other than love. Whether they leveraged power, whether they leveraged authority, whether they leveraged the Bible, but they certainly didn't leverage love. I, uh, I used to live overseas and uh, in, the, in the States, and so I would travel back uh, over here every now and then, and I would, when I would travel back, uh, I'm one of these weird people, uh, and I like to spend time in airports. Um, not because I like airports, but because I don't like being stressed out in airports. Because uh, when there's security guards around and you're stressed out, like, I don't know, I just like, kind of look like a kind of shady guy, I guess. And I don't want to give them any reason. Like, I already get searched all the time at the bomb. I used to have like really long hair and like a big beard. And they used to search me all the time at the bomb detection units. And I didn't want to give them another reason that I was like late for my flight and like really edgy and nervous. So what I would do is 
when I would fly back to the United States, I would make sure that I had like a good five or six hour layover uh, in LAX before I jumped on my connecting flight. Because LAX, if you've ever been there, it's a big terminal. It takes a long time to make your way around. Uh, if your flight's late, it's like a nightmare making it through. So this one particular day, I was early. My first time I've ever been early. Got into LAX and then uh, walked from the international terminal, got my bags, got through customs. And I got to the domestic terminal ready to check in more than the four hours before checking that I was allowed to be there. So I was sitting there and I went up to the counter. I was like, hey, could you, could you let me in? Uh, the chick was going, no, you're kind of like four hours and 45 minutes before your flight. Like, we can't check you in. Uh, but if you just hang out over there in the terminal in the lounge, just wait for 45 minutes, I'll be able to check you in. I thought, okay, that's cool, uh, no worries. So I went over, I kind of had all my bags around me, I think I had my feet up on the bag, uh, bags, and I guess I was kind of bored, so what do you do when you're bored? You start reading your Bible, I guess. Um, it's kind of normal, right? And I was sitting there. I was sitting in the middle of LAX, and it was like 7 o'clock in the morning, and it was, wasn't really busy at this point in time. And I'm sitting there, I can't remember what I was reading, but I had the Bible open, I had my headphones in, and the next thing, there's like kind of this rustling next to my bag, and I look, and this guy is, is putting a pamphlet in my bag. And I kind of like watch him and then he walks, like doesn't look at me, doesn't say anything to me, and he just keeps walking. And I'll look at the pamphlet and I'm going to be honest, I can't remember exactly what was on the pamphlet. But it was one of those pamphlets like, read your Bible or you're going to hell. Or like, repent and be saved right now. And here I am sitting there reading my Bible, getting one of these pamphlets. And I thought, well, that's odd. Um, and so I just watched this guy. I watched this guy, and all throughout the airport as he's, as he's going down, he's just walking down and just putting pamphlets, not even looking at the people, not making eye contact, but he's just dropping pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet after pamphlet. Now, I'm not saying there's anything wrong with sharing the message of Jesus, but when you're not actually willing to, and you don't really care about the message you're giving, when you're not willing to take time to look someone in the eye and have a conversation, it doesn't say much about the message that you're trying to give. And chances are, your, your example has been far more extreme. Your example has been far more extreme of when the church has leveraged something other than love. When they haven't wanted to have a body, they haven't actually wanted to engage in a conversation with you. So tonight, if you're in that boat, what I want to do, and, and for all of us as, as well who, who uh, follow Jesus, I want to look at, really briefly, three things, that, three brand new things that change as we step into the Jesus movement. Three things that the Jesus movement changes for us. And if you're not a, uh, a church person here, my aim is not to convince you to follow Jesus. All I want to do is help you to maybe see Jesus and see the movement that Jesus came to start in a, in a new light. That's all I'm trying to do, is just to add a category to your thinking. The first thing that I want to look at is the idea that in the Jesus model, authority is exercised for the benefit of the led, not for the leaders. Authority is exercised for the benefit of the led, not the leaders. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, when Jesus was gathered together with his disciples, he said this. But Jesus called them together and said, You know that the rulers of this world lord it over their people. And officials flaunt their authority uh, over those under them. Chances are you've been in this kind of uh, scenario or you've experienced this. It's that top-down leadership where the person at the top of the apple tree tells you what to do and you've got to do it no matter what. And oftentimes they tell you to do it so that they can put their feet up and relax. And the more and more they do it, they, they, the higher they get up the ladder, the more they like it because the more power they get to assert over people. The more stuff they get to have other people do for them. And into this paradigm of leadership and this paradigm of authority that was present 
in the temple model, Jesus says this, but among you, it will be different. Among you, it will be different. And and then he says this, he says, whoever wants to be a leader among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to become first among you must be your slave. In other words, in the Jesus model, if you want to have real authority, you need to know what it's like to be at the bottom of the pecking order. If you want to have real authority, if you want to exhibit real leadership, you need to put yourself in the shoes of the people who are underneath you. And you can almost, I don't know, if you were a disciple, you can almost hear the disciples being like, whoa, 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 wait, Jesus, Jesus, hang on. We've experienced the authority of, all, of the temple model all our lives. Like, when we get to this uh, kind of authority, can't we kind of like, just, just a little bit, just a little bit of authority. And Jesus says, for the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others and to give his life as a ransom for many. Jesus is saying, it's no different for me. In fact, Jesus is saying, in this uh, new brand new way of thinking, even the, the, the person who starts the movement, even Jesus himself was willing to be the example that no one else could be. In fact, think about this. If you are a Christian and you're in, uh, in a business or an industry and you finally get to a point where you think you've made it, I mean you've really made it, I mean your personal assistants have personal assistance. That's how made it you have. I mean, you have houses everywhere, you have cars everywhere, your business is multinational, you have like uh, a couple of hundred, a couple of thousand employees working for you, you have made it. In the Jesus model, all that means is you are responsible for washing more feet. If that's you in the Jesus model and you get to a point where you feel like you've made it, all that means is you're responsible for washing more feet. Could you imagine what the world would look like if that was how all followers of Jesus acted. I mean, everyone would want to work for a Christian. Not because they believed, you know, that necessarily believed what they had to believe, but because their bosses, those people in authority, were willing to serve those underneath them, were willing to understand what the people underneath them were going through and were able to not just tell them what they needed to do, but lead by example what they needed to do. Because authority in the Jesus model is for the benefit of the led, not for the leaders. The second thing in the, in the Jesus model that Jesus flips on its head is this idea of spirituality. It's a word that we love to throw around. Spirituality in the Jesus model is characterized by how well, uh, not by, sorry, is characterized by how well one loves, not by how much one knows. It's characterized by how well one loves, not by how much one knows. In Galatians it says this, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. There is no law against these things. And oftentimes, for those of us who would say we're followers of Jesus, we characterize spirituality. And we have this box for spirituality, and we, we... We have the worst scale for spirituality. We have the worst judge of, oh, oh, someone's spiritual. Uh, Maybe you've ever, maybe you've even heard some of these. You know, you come home from a connect group or you went to hear a a communicator speak or a pastor, you know, speak a message. 
they were so incredible. Oh, they were so good. They didn't use notes. And they just had all these Bible verses. They just came off the top of their head. And they were just able to speak. And it was like they just, they just got it. They were so spiritual. No, they weren't. They were prepared. If you walked into a lecture and your lecturer didn't know what they were talking about, you'd say you're not prepared. They walk into church and they know what they're talking about. They're spiritual. And that's how we measure people's spirituality, by how prepared they are. How much they prepared for connect group. How much they prepared to give a message. How well they read their Bible that week. Another thing we do, and if you're not a follower of Jesus, this might sound weird to you, but there's a language that Christians have. It's called Christianese. If you don't know it, that's great. I hope you never learn it. But we, and I wrote some of these down because you're just not going to believe this. In fact, if, if you don't go to church, you're going to be like, what are these guys on about? There's, there's this Christianese language and, and they're throwaway words that we toss into sentences sometimes to make us sound more spiritual. Here are some of them. Guard your heart. Oh, guard your heart. We just tossed it into a sentence. And all, all, you know, I don't feel led. I just don't feel led. Or something like, here's my love offering. Here's my love. Oh, I'm so spiritual. I've got a love offering. I did my quiet time today. Quiet time. Doing life together. Doing life together. How was the week? Oh, just so into the word. Into the word this week. Oh, how are they doing this week? Oh, they're backsliding. They're backsliding this week. There's another one. If you've been around church people uh, a whole time, there's a prayer catchphrase that people have. Prayer catchphrases is the phrase they repeat over and over again when they're in a prayer and they kind of, it's sort of like an um, but it's like a spiritual version of an um. So it's like they're praying and they're like, oh, Heavenly Father, we just thank you, Heavenly Father. Heavenly Father Jesus, we thank you, Heavenly Father Jesus, for this time. And it's like when they can't say, think of another word to say, they, they don't want to say um because that's not super spiritual. Oh, Heavenly Father Jesus. And if you're not a church person here and you're thinking like, what are these guys doing? Like, that's exactly what you should be thinking. Because just because you know Christianese, just because you know a few spiritual words to throw in, does not mean you're spiritual. Does not mean you're spiritual. The other one that is fantastic that Christians love to characterize spirituality on is, how many highlights do you have in your Bible? What have you got highlighted? Oh my goodness, you're at the coffee shop and you see the person's Bible. That person has so many highlights in their Bible. They must be spiritual. They really must be into the word and super spiritual because they've got the highlights. Just because you highlight your Bible does not make, make you spiritual. In fact, if you're going to take your Bible to a coffee shop and you're going to walk past the person who's crying because they're suffering domestic violence at home, but you don't want to make eye contact with them because that would be awkward. You've missed the idea of what spirituality means in the Jesus movement. Because in the Jesus movement, spirituality is not how much you know. It's how well you love other people. The third one, the final one, is this. It's the idea of holiness. Jesus came to start, give us this brand new understanding of holiness. And holiness in the Jesus model is not about uh, being, uh, sorry, is about being a part of rather than setting oneself apart from. It's not about being, it's about being a part of as opposed to setting oneself apart from. We have this idea sometimes in church world that, Oh, I've got to stay over here and I can't talk to you because if I talk to you, then, then maybe I'll backslide. I'll throw one of those Christianese words in there so it sounds super spiritual. I don't want to lose my spirituality. You know, we throw these words in there and we, we think that to, in order to be a Christian, we have to be separate and we have to live on our other little bubble and we have to do all our Christian things and listen to our Christian music and only talk to our Christian people and only, only listen and watch Christian shows. But Jesus redefines that. And in the book of John, it says, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. 
because Jesus decided it was not good for him to be a part anymore. And he stepped into creation and he began to engage. And the craziest thing happened when Jesus stepped down and began to engage with creation. And Jesus, if you don't know much about Jesus, Jesus used to hang out with the lower echelon of society, those people that the Jewish people would have defined as unclean. He hung out with the tax collectors, with the prostitutes, with the lepers. And when Jesus engaged with those people, when Jesus ate with those people, when Jesus spoke with those people, he didn't become contaminated, but power went out from him and he actually began to heal those people around him. Because in the Jesus model, holiness is about engaging with as opposed to setting yourself apart from. In fact, in the Jesus model, holy people have dirty hands. In the Jesus model, dirty is the new holy. And maybe... You're sitting there and you're thinking to yourself, well, that's great. I just got three brand new things that Jesus came to give. But, but how does that apply to me? Or, or better yet, why should it apply to me? Why should I change my life? Why should I do anything differently because of that? Really, the question is, so what? That's cool, but so what? We have this thing at Beyond. It's called Four Monday. Because we, we honestly believe that there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it doesn't impact you, if it doesn't change you for the rest of your week, if it's not helpful in some way. And so tonight, I've got two kinds of full Mondays. One, if you're not a follower of Jesus or, excuse me, you wouldn't consider yourself a church person, I've got a full Monday specifically for you. And if you're a follower of Jesus, I've got a full Monday specifically for you as well. Because the one big idea running through these three things that Jesus came to, to make brand new has one big application. The one big idea running through these, these three things that Jesus came to make brand new, is the idea that the temple model was all about consuming. It was all about consuming. God, what can I do to be right with you so you can make me happy? The Jesus model is all about engaging. It is all about engaging. And so if you're not a follower of Jesus here tonight, this is my four Monday challenge for you. Will you engage with Jesus? Now, let me... Let me clarify what I mean with that because you might hear something different to what I actually mean. When I ask you, if you're not a follower of Jesus, will you engage with Jesus? I'm not asking you to come to church every Sunday. I'm not asking you to read your Bible every week. I'm not even asking you to say, you know what, I will be a follower of Jesus. I'm not even asking you to do that. All I'm asking you to do is if you believe that there's something to this, if you believe that God stepped into the pages of history because he didn't want to be apart from his creation anymore, that he was beaten and mocked by his own creation and that he hung on the cross dying in the blood and saliva of the people that he created. And he did it so that you would never ever doubt that you were loved. He did it so that you would never have to earn your way back to him. Isn't that something worth finding out about? And even if at the end of it, even if at the end of it you say, you know what, I just don't want to have anything to do with Jesus. Don't you think you owe it to yourself to know what you're walking away from? And what you're saying no to. So tonight, if if you wouldn't consider yourself a Christian, this is my challenge. At the connect desk at the back, the desk with the bright lights on and everything as you walk in, we we have some packs for you. And uh, there's no surprise what's in the packs. It's a Bible. Uh, But inside, you're going to find a little card. And 
uh, there's, there's four books in the New Testament part of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all historical uh, accounts that center on the life of Jesus. And they're all written by eyewitnesses to Jesus' ministry. Now, I don't even want you to read all four. Just pick one. Just pick one and begin to engage with Jesus. Begin to see what this Jesus guy was all about and then make up your mind about whether you want to engage or whether you want to walk away or not. And I totally understand if maybe you're at a point where you're like, ah, Bible, I don't know, man. Um, Then that's okay. What I want you to do is, and if you're listening to this online, this applies, you can just drop us a note on our Facebook page. What I want you to do is I want you to come and grab me after the service and you can, you can write all your questions down, you can bring as many friends as you want and we'll go out and I'll buy you coffee and I'll buy your friends coffee and we'll talk about it. And if you don't drink coffee, then we can go to the tavern or the pub or whatever, that's cool too. And we'll talk about it. Not because I have all the answers to your questions. Chances are I probably don't but because your questions matter. And because your questions matter to us at Beyond and they matter more importantly to Jesus. And although I might not be able to answer all your questions, the least I can do as a follower of Jesus is begin to leverage love to try and help you engage with Jesus. So come and grab me. If you don't want to grab me, drop us a note on our Facebook page and we can get a hold of you. And if you're listening to this online... Uh, that applies to you too. And if you're listening to it online uh, and you're overseas, then maybe drop us a note and we'll try and hook up a Skype time as well. And if you're a follower of Jesus tonight, this is a uh, question, but it's really more of a statement. So there's a question mark after it, but it's really more of a statement. It's where are you going to engage? If you're a follower of Jesus, where are you going to engage? In fact, if you're, not, if you're a follower of Jesus and you're not engaged in the local church, you're not engaged in, in the, the body of Christ in some way, you are missing something. And the church is missing something as well. Because the Jesus model is all about engaging. Now when I say engage, I don't mean come to church and sing songs that you like and go out and eat afterwards and go to a connect group that you don't lead. I don't mean engaging like that. That's consuming. I mean, where are you actually going to engage? Where are you going to serve? Where are you going to ask the question, what does love require of me? And then begin to act on that. And I totally understand that's confronting for some people because, you know, your whole life maybe in church, it's always been about consuming. And you're like, well, why should I do anything about that? Why should I begin to engage? The church has been without me for so long. I haven't served for so long. Why why does it make a difference? Why should I begin to engage now? And just for the last minute as we wrap this up, I want you to imagine there was a game of rugby league that took place on Wednesday night and unfortunately the wrong team won, but the right team won the series. But could you imagine, you know, flukes are allowed to happen every now and then, right? Once every 11 years apparently is a statistic. (laughs) But could you imagine... What would happen if for that game, Queensland and New South Wales rocked up to one stadium and the crowd rocked up to another? And then on top of that, the commentators rocked up at a third stadium. And then the video crew rocked up at a fourth stadium. What would that be like for the world if you were trying to explain to them what rugby league is? If you were trying to show them a spectacle of what rugby league is? Because everyone's sitting at home watching a blank piece of grass 
and a game's being played somewhere else, and a commentator's, they're looking at a blank piece of grass, and, and they're just commentating what they think is happening, but they don't know what's happening. Imagine being in that crowd, you're just cheering and screaming for a game that's not even being played, you know, it's happening somewhere, but you don't know what's going on. If you're a follower of Jesus and you're not engaged and you're disconnected, that's what we look like to the outside world. When we're trying to explain a game of rugby league and there's four different stadiums and we try and explain it, that's what followers of Jesus look like to the outside world if they're not engaged. Because we talk about this guy who came and died for our sins, about how he gave everything for us, how he gave his eternal life and how we just love him so much. But then what it looks like, and when people look at our lives and they say, you know, I just don't get it. It's, it doesn't seem to line up. But we can begin to change that. And we have the opportunity to get back to this brand new movement that Jesus started. But it's going to take us to begin to engage. It's going to take us to ask the question, what does love require of me? I'm going to invite uh, John back up. And just as we close, just... This last thing. If everyone, could you imagine what your world, just your world would look like if for one month, 30 days, every single follower of Jesus in this room engaged the way that Jesus engaged? Just imagine how your world and how our community would be transformed for 30 days you began to engage the way Jesus engaged. Imagine what it would look like for three years. You know, Jesus, the books that are, the, the events that are written about Jesus, we estimate are about three, three and a half years in length. Jesus' ministry on earth, uh, when he started doing public ministry, it's only three, three and a half years in length. Could you imagine what would happen if, as a followers of Jesus, we decided to engage the way Jesus engaged for three years? What kind of impact could we have? Betty had still... What would our world look like if for our entire life, for an entire lifetime, we began to engage the way Jesus engaged? The good news is we can. The good news is we can go back to the brand new model that Jesus started. But it's going to take us to stop consuming and begin engaging and ask the question, what does love require of me? Let's pray. Lord, we thank you so much that you stepped into history, that you became flesh and you hung on a cross for us. Lord, we thank you for the example of love that you showed. And it's really, really easy to ask what does love require of us, but it's so demanding to actually follow through. It's so demanding, in fact, that it led to you dying on a cross in our place. And so, Heavenly Father, as we go out this week, I want to pray for those people who are thinking about beginning to engage. Because, Lord, we believe that this place, that this new movement Jesus started is not centered on a building, but is centered on people. We believe that we are the church. So, Lord, help us to be the church. Help us to engage in our world. And, Lord, I want to pray specifically for anyone tonight who's here right now who maybe isn't a follower of Jesus and is just beginning to ask questions, is just beginning to engage. Lord, I pray for anyone online who's listening to this as well. And Lord, we just pray that they would take one of these packs or they would take the offer up 
to begin to engage with Jesus. Not because we want to leverage power or leverage authority, it's just because we want to leverage love and because we care because Jesus first cared for us. So Lord, as we go out this week, help us to be a community that is not focused on consuming, but is focused on engaging. Amen.